0: But, there's something in us that's constantly comparing distance. (laughs) Hey, this is Peter John. Glad you're tuned in to Rogue Grace here on this Wednesday. Tonight, the congregation, the assembly, the people of God gather in the sanctuary at 7 o'clock can't beat it. I don't care what you do. You can't beat gathering in the name of the Lord. And then a Bible study given by a certain John Corson. I'm looking forward to it. So I'll see you tonight as we go through Proverbs as we, well, it's been claimed that we're going to finish the Proverbs tonight. So we'll, so we'll see how far that goes. We all fall short of the glory of God, of the perfection. We all fall short, but there's something in us that compares distance. No need. No need to be comparing distance. No need to be comparing yourself with anyone else, Christian or otherwise. Listen, all that will do is get you into trouble. (laughs) Listen to this story from Acts. You you might be familiar with it. In chapter 5, But a man named Ananias, with his wife Sapphira, sold a piece of property. And with his wife's knowledge, he kept back for himself some of the proceeds and brought a part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back part of it, the proceeds for yourself? While it remained unsold, it, did it not remain in your, as your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to men, but to God. When Ananias heard these words, he fell down and breathed his last, and great fear came upon all who heard it. The young men rose and wrapped him up and carried him out and buried him. And if you know the story, you can repeat that with Sapphira, his wife. Same thing happened to her. Because they were pretending to be something that they were not. And Peter says to both of them, why? Why are you doing this? The land was your, the, yours. The profit was yours. The proceeds was yours. Why are you seeking to promote or project an image? And ultimately, it killed him. Promoting or projecting an image will always kill the life within me and you. It will always kill the life in our friendships, in our relationships, and in our families. At some point, it will kill it. You pretending, me acting like something that we are not. See, the problem with this story of Ananias and Sapphira is that they were busy projecting an image weren't they it was a partial truth yes they had sold the land and given some of it to the church but not all of it to the church and the reason why they suffered or they experienced the fate that they did was not because they didn't give it all that's what Peter says not because you didn't give it all (laughs) oh But what's going to do you in is your constant projection of something you are not. It will kill me. It will kill you. If not physically, it will kill our joy, our peace, our relationships, and yes, our families. When we are projecting ourselves to be something that we know we are not. Maybe it's simply a partial truth or an exaggeration, but it is a projection of an image. And that lying that they do did and that we might find ourselves doing is a self-salvation project, trying to justify ourselves, pretending to be good. Being a fraud, though, is exhausting. Why do we do that? Why did they do that? We are lying, and in their case, dying for approval, aren't we? That's why you need to tune in to Rogue Grace, (laughs) Or, or at least open up the book of Romans, or study and meditate in God's word and remember who you are, as being justified through the blood of Jesus Christ so that you don't have to be a fraud and don't have to try to project yourself to be something either you're not or you're not completely. You're free to be you as long as you put your faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ.
1: of God that brings out I'm not afraid to
0: and I have the best job in the world, sorry to rub it in, but to listen to that kind of music, I didn't even know what that song was. In fact, a lot of the songs, I don't even know what they are because of my memory, let's just say memory lapse of sorts. So I have to go through my music again because a lot of these songs I'm just saying, play them and then I don't even know what they are. But that was the case with that song and I enjoyed it our great God and Savior. And last segment, we talked about how we we are always trying to pretend to be something we are not. And that we're so concerned, not when I say we, you know, I'm just making a general statement, but with our image, that even might be partial, but a partial truth is an exaggeration. And often lying is a self-salvation project. When we're lying to ourselves, lying to others, and lying to God. It's a self-salvation project. When you come clean, that is confess your sin. You are not engaged in a self-salvation project. You are realizing I am saved by grace alone. And you're free that way. You're set free. You're not under the burden of Ananias and Sapphira in our story. Who died because they lied. (laughs) Thank goodness that I haven't died every time I've lied. But, but I have died in certain areas of joy and of peace when I've tried to put project. An image that I know in my heart isn't genuine. The grace of God, the blood of Jesus frees us from things that are not authentic when you really receive them for what they are. Does that make sense? I'm going through the book of Hebrews on. Rogue Grace. So let's pick up right where we left off. When I say Hebrews, we don't even we aren't even certain who the author is. And I'm glad for that, because it is such a masterpiece. I mean, we might guess it could be Paul or Apollos or others, but but it's such a masterpiece. It's as though God says, I want everyone out of the way. I just want you to see my son. And so it says, picking up where we left off, in chapter five, after talking about the sympathy that God has for us in chapter four, because he relates to us as our high priest, the Son of God does, chapter five goes on to talk about how Jesus, the Son of God, is like a high priest that relates to the people because of the high priest's own weakness. But Jesus's weakness was never sinful. And yet he still had to learn obedience. We are told as a son, he had to learn obedience. So he had to learn how to be obedient to the father. And then it says in verse 11, let's pick up About this, we have much to say, and it is hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. (laughs) I want to say more, the writer of Hebrews is saying, but I can't because you are dull of hearing. My dad points out in his commentary that that term dull of hearing is one word literally where we get our word ignorant. You have chosen to be ignorant about so many things the writer of Hebrews is saying because you prefer your legal actions. You prefer your religious route. So you have chosen to jettison so much about Jesus. And we want to say so much more but we can't because you have been Dole of hearing. When I preach a message of grace on a Sunday morning, it's almost as though I feel the tug of war that's taking place in the sanctuary, that there are those who are dull of hearing because they think, "Oh, I know this message. I've heard this before. I need something new. Not just knew about Jesus, but knew about religion, knew about Christianity, so that I can do it. Now, it's always good to get new things. I'm not diminishing that. However, if it's simply something new that I can do, and that's just that, I see a lot of that sometimes take place in churches and in sanctuaries when I'm preaching the message. And I'm not going to simply say it's all the congregation when it could be my preaching. (laughs) No doubt. Let's leave that open. Let's not take that off the table. But at the same time, even if the preacher isn't the most oratorical or the most skilled, if he's preaching the message of the gospel of grace, you and I should have hearts that are open and ready and excited, at least relaxed to receive it. You can never, my friend, you can never outgrow your need for grace. Even if you think you have, you have not. And life at some point will teach you this and me too. <laughs> so don't be like these Hebrews, these legalists And be dull of hearing or literally ignorant. We might say intentionally ignorant. Where do we get the word ignorant? What's the base of that word? Ignore. Ignore. How do you do that? Listen to what my dad says about this verse in his commentary. This verse I just read to you about not being ignorant. God says this, or not God, (laughs) pardon me, my dad. He says the term ignorance is spoken of is not due to never hearing. Rather, the ignorance is the result of ignoring. See, I like that. Not out of not hearing, but ignoring, even as the word ignorance comes from the word ignore. So don't ignore because then you're going to be ignorant. That's what we're being told. Then my dad goes on to say, there are those who say, I'm just not getting anything out of Bible study. I go to church, but nothing registers with me. I read the Bible, but it seems just like ink on paper. Why? It could very well be because they are those who are dull of hearing. That is, God spoke to them a week or a month ago, concerning something they were to do, but they ignored it. Why then would you expect God to keep speaking to you if you refuse to do those things that he's already made clear? Exactly. Ignorant means ignore. So if God said to me to do something and I'm ignoring or I'm choosing to be ignorant, why do I think he's going to have more? And then I wonder, why is the Bible dry? Why is my... Ability to hear from God seeming to be void. It could be that he said, Pete, you need to pray, and I didn't, Pete. You need to take your wife on a date, and I didn't, Pete. You need to turn off the TV and read your Bible, and I didn't. Not that it's legalism, it's just that God says, I'm not angry. I'm not wrathful. Jesus already took all my anger and my wrath on the cross. But I'm not going to keep talking, if you would. Keep telling you things, if you would. If you're not going to do what I just said, right? That only makes sense. And that's exactly what Hebrews chapter 5 is saying. That you can be dull of hearing. You can choose to be ignorant. Don't do it. Why? I'll tell you right after this song break.
2: I was a drift, I had nowhere to go. I was hanging by threads of dust and bone. Every angel I knew was singing so come home, but the melody was hard to sing alone. Oh God you might deliver
0: probably my favorite singer uh, in the Christian music department right now, Matt Mayer with Deliverer. And uh, so let's pick up where we left off last segment. About this, we have much to say. It is hard to explain since you have been dull of hearing. Hebrews 5, verse 11. Then it says, for though by this time you ought to be Teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is still a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have power of discernment trained by constant practice, To distinguish good from evil the solid food the meat of the word are for those who are able to distinguish good from evil we are told now doesn't that sound familiar distinguish good from evil it does to me it goes back to the beginning in the garden of eden When Adam and Eve chose to take the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, did they not? To their detriment, to all of our destruction apart from God's grace. They weren't to have, listen, 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 listen. They were not to have the knowledge of good and evil. Isn't that amazing? It wasn't called the tree of gambling and prostitution or the tree of drinking and theft or of gossip and gluttony. I mean, any of those things we would have said, of course, it's the tree of those. No, it's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. They were to be in a very real sense, ignorant of good and evil as they walked with God in that state of innocence to take the tree of life, but not the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And now here in Hebrews, we are told that we are to move beyond the simple milk, but have solid food. Why? It's for the mature who by constant practice, distinguish good from evil. Well, didn't that get, Adam and Eve into trouble? Yes, it did. Well, then why are we told to distinguish good from evil? Because we are not seeking to do it in our own volition, our own admonition, our own power. We're not like they did. That's the problem. We are to come back to that place of innocence where we are saying, God, I don't know up from down But I do know this, my eyes are on you. That's the place of innocence that we can come back to, that they had in the Garden of Eden. Not saying that we should just go out and live mm, in any manner we want, but rather to live in the manner that God is placing on our hearts. That's the beauty of this scripture. That when you grow and mature, that God is able to help you, to cause you to distinguish what is good from evil. To restore, I think, the relationship that he had with people in the Garden of Eden. But let me say, it's not a matter of saying, well, I need to go down this checklist and go through these commandments. The whole book of Hebrews has been Very much establishing that we are no longer under the old covenant or the law. It is a new covenant. And it is, if you would, a new law. Written where? On your heart. That's what the new covenant is. Law, but it's written on your heart. That's the beauty, my radio buddy my listening friend right now. The beauty is not that you have to open up a book or look at a stone tablet to find God's will, but he writes it on your heart. And yes, the book definitely confirms and reestablishes that, but that's not where it initially comes from. It comes from God says, I will write my will on your heart. Welcome to freedom, to grace, to the new covenant. That's what it's all about.
1: There's a little song that we sing in our movement down in the south. I don't know if you heard it, but it has become the theme song. We shall
2: overcome. How free is anyone? Some are still in chains. Slaves to brokenness. Oh, there's blindness. How free is anyone? Teams. We are more than our fears. We are marching on. There's a price we have to pay. Love means taking on the weight of what was won. child don't grow weary. Soon we will a song. see the sun. See the sun.
0: And so, listen, I love the book of Hebrews. It releases me from shame. Whenever I try to endeavor in good works as a means to prove myself or validate myself, in other words, whenever I am trying to establish my own righteousness, even almost subtly or even subconsciously, the result at some point is going to be a sense of shame. Because I have failed, fallen short. Shame. It comes not from wrongdoing, but wrong being. I am wrong. Not I've done wrong. We all done wrong, but Shame comes from wrong being. Not I am wrong, but I am wrong. Not I did wrong, but I am wrong. And this condemnation, this shame will destroy your body, your mind, your spirit, because someone it's saying has to pay. (laughs) And that's why I love the book of Hebrews. It says the debt has been paid and it has nothing to do with your effort or your payment. I, I remember a few years ago, I felt very indebted to the Girl Scouts of America because of their mint And chocolate cookies. You see, my daughters were both in Girl Scouts and one of the things, somehow, I don't even know how this happened, but our house became like the central point, the central moving point, I should say. The depot for all the Girl Scout cookies. I mean, I am not joking. I'm not exaggerating when I say our garage was filled. I mean, filled With Girl Scout cookies. Boxes after boxes stacked up. So, of course, it was very tempting. A temptation that I did indeed succumb to. To take a box or two or ten or twenty over the next month or so. And enjoy it while I'm watching the game. Or whatever it might be. And say, just put it on my tab. And I kept saying that to Bailey and Sadie, my daughters. Just put it on my tab. Put it on my tab. I'll pay you back. And I could sense, though, as time was going on, there was a kind of tension mounting between us. Between dad and daughter. Until I paid it off then back to normal and to know that your debt has been paid off. You don't have to have any longer tension, awkwardness in the presence of God. He is your father who has paid the price through his own son. And now you are free to live as yourself being you and enjoying God. That's what he has done. Awesome. I'll be right back. That's some great theology right there. Finish what he started. He will. See, on the cross, as you know, Jesus did not cry, I am finished. He did not say, I am finished. He said, it is finished. So, being that it and is not I, meaning he accomplished something more than just of himself and for himself, although that would have been sufficient for him. No, he did something for us all. He finished it. He didn't say it is finished for me. He just said, it is finished. Te telestai. A beautiful, wonderful phrase that, As I pointed out in studies here on rogue grace previously, had all kinds of connotations in that culture for artists and bankers. That te telestai was a common phrase that was used for a completed task or work of art. And the cross, his death was both of those things when he declared, te telestai, it is finished. It was both a debt that was paid and a work of art. Praise be to Jesus Christ here on KAPL. (laughs) Praise be to the one who finished the work for you. You're a finished product in Jesus Christ. You are. You're not a work in process in His and God's perspective. You are in Jesus Christ. It is finished. Beautiful. So I'm finished for today. We'll rebroadcast this at three. And then tonight, come join me and the fellowship as we learn Proverbs 30 and 31 with my dad preaching the word. Looking forward to it. See you then. God bless